Hey, hey, hello again, friends. Season 2, Episode 3, Bars Closed. Alright, so I'm about 75 days of not one drink. It's interesting when you kind of start to go that long. And again, as you all know, I haven't really identified as an alcoholic as much as I have a, an addict, I guess, is probably the, the right term, right? Even though I'm not a hardcore drug user or anything, the reality is that I was and have been most of my life outside of some of the recreation using alcohol a little bit too abundantly to smooth and soothe those painful parts of myself that I didn't want to acknowledge. And so sobriety and the kind of terminology still is new to me, but at the moment I feel like just a, you know, like a, a non-drinker, right? <laughs> you know, like a, which brings me back to this kind of self-perception I had of myself of somebody who was actually, you know, didn't have a problem or, you know, only drank hard every once in a while. And could handle it. So I think I wanted to bring us back to, you know, kind of my the first episode and really talking about, you know, some of the apocalyptic nature of really what I had mentioned. And, you know, I've been accused of being dramatic in the past, so I really wanted to regroup on that. And, you know, apocalypse is kind of known for being the end of the world. And, you know, that would be a, a dramatic statement on my part. I, I could, could have been more selective with my language, one might think. And, I had to regroup on that for myself and make sure that the fact that that came out of me had some level of accuracy and I wasn't being overly dramatic. And so in addressing that, I think really, you know, I had to really look back at the language again because that's what's so important. And apocalypse comes from the Greek word, you know, apocalypsis, and uh, that is uncovering, disclosure, and revelation. Uncovering, disclosure, and revelation. And so it can be, you know, perceived in a prophetic way, a prophetic revelation, especially concerning a cataclysmic event of some sort. And it can even go on further to say that, you know, in which forces of good and evil are at odds with each other. And so when you put it in that vein, I can sanely say that for me, this was the right use of word, that it was a apocalyptic moment of my life and it went on through you know multiple episodes if you will and seasons and series and through different people of which again I'll continue to kind of unlayer with here and my conversation with myself and with you but you know that being said you know really the cataclysmic moment for me was that nothing at all was what I thought I mean straight up that I had been living for 49 years with a completely different perspective and point of view on almost everything I know. And I thought I had so much figured out, right? I mean, I really, that was not expected. I mean, I knew I had blind, you know, I had blind spots. I knew that I had issues, if you will, you know, that still had room to be worked on as we all do. But I had no idea that I had what I really now believe had it all so wrong. And the funny thing about that is, is that, you know, that kind of information starts to trickle into you, right? And so that's, I'm talking about straight up before the apocalypse. So in this particular case, I think also what makes it more apocalyptic is, is that my belief systems and what I believed what was and how important those belief systems were to me and how emotionally attached I was to those belief systems and to the people that I attached those belief systems to and with, 
that was even all that more important because we were in the middle of a COVID pandemic. In many cases, we were all shacked up together under my roof. And these were some of the longest known or most important and what I would believe to be the most loyal people that I would possibly have in my life. And this isn't about them. This is all really about me and my experience and my part in it by all means. But from, I can't explain it without them because we were all characters in the same play. But, you know, really, obviously the hints and the signs had started to drop in for months and those hurt. They stung. And I realized, you know, looking back at it, it was kind of like an episode out of Mixed Messages, my other podcast, where I was taking a lot of inventory. And I didn't realize how much inventory I was taking about this, but I was. And so I started stacking and all of these things with each one of these individuals. And I really tried what I believe within my capacity at that time to go back and address these issues and try to head them off at the pass, if you will, and go direct into them and see if I could have really serious acceptance and reconciliation and recognition and of each one of these issues I was having with each one of these individuals, if you will, and then some with myself and the whole experience as all this kind of stacked evidence was starting to show up that it wasn't what I thought it was. And that that was really difficult for me to grasp. But then it, once it starts to trickle in, and then of course I'm, I'm not responding to it, even though I am heading it on, much of this wants to be avoided. You know, a lot of people don't want to address conflict and they want it all to be okay and they want it to just keep going as it is or they want to take their own route and not have me involved in that decision process and they'll let me know on a need-to-know basis and I was never really good at that before by any means and it, and it further, you know, pissed me off, if anything. But then it went from trickling into pouring, right? And now it was just really obvious and that became overwhelming. I was overwhelmed with how obvious it was. And so, you know, once I got to that point, then the floodgates hit. And at that point then, once the floodgates hit, and I, it was a real realization that I had to acknowledge that nothing at all in my life was what it, I thought it was. None of the relationships had the true depth and range and capacity that I thought they did, or even the capacity to have that capacity that I thought they did, at least as it were. And I snapped. I mean, I honestly had a true emotional breakdown. I never really knew what that was like before. I think I spent my whole life trying to avoid anything of the sorts. And, uh, you know, I've heard from people since then. Everybody's like, well, everybody breaks down once. And I'm like, I didn't, I didn't know that. And I haven't seen very many people do it in my life. So that was all very new to me. And so, you know, there are reasons why people snap. And I know that mental health is a big issue throughout the whole pandemic anyway. And others who are listening now might be on the verge of snapping themselves. And others may have already snapped. And others don't know they're going to snap. But... In my case, I'm a human being who snapped, and I really called it like I broke. I, you know, I really, all of this information was way too much for me to handle. And I thought I was pretty good at handling information, and I just, I broke, and it crushed me. And so from there, once I broke, I really, you know, tried to measure in on what I was feeling, and what I was feeling was deep and utter sorrow. And it wasn't just from the immediate experience, it wasn't just from what was happening individually or in the group or, you know, in that hive mentality or, or during the circumstances. It was, it, it didn't took me back to all kinds of my childhood and all kinds of my upbringing and all kinds of my life experiences that then I realized that I built my belief systems around and then therefore I built this fake perceptive experience that I was living and that all these people were living it with me, which they weren't, not like that. So once I realized the sorrow, and I realized it so deep, well then that, that moved me into what I would consider now paranoia. And I went into a really deep state of paranoia. 
and that entered into profound states of what felt like prophetic prophecy experience. And in that, I actually did reconnect and find Christ, and ultimately, my soul. I rediscovered my soul. That I have been saying that I, I acknowledged my soul my whole life, and you know, I stuck it in a jar. And it was like a pretty firefly in a jar on one of my shelves while my ego was running wild. And so this basically, you know, kind of hit my neurons. And if you know anything about neuroplasticity, it was, it was new information. And that's the only way our brains can really fire off these neurons to go out and seek answers to new, is if we get new information. If it's not new information, then it just kind of, those neurons fire off to the same map that's been going on since you were four years old, and it tells you this is how you're going to respond to this. You're going to be angry here. You're going to be sad here. You're going to be distant here. But this was such new information that, you know, the heartbreaking nature of it, you know, it just now went out to the universe of my brain and shot into galaxies unknown and came back and said, you know, we got to go find some a whole new map here because nothing applies your whole life and everything that we're about to tell you about how you should respond to all this isn't here. We don't have it in the computer. So we have to go out into the uncharted territories of your mind and come back with more information. And by God, that's a scary, scary, scary process if you haven't been through it. And, and now that I have, I can, I can speak more candidly about it and I can speak more patiently with myself about it and fearlessly. I'm not ashamed of what I went through. And so once that paranoia really went into full effect, that then took me to a little place called grief. And I had not talked or acknowledged grief and I can't tell you how long. So sadness I've lived with, disappointment I've lived with, but my expectations have always been super high of myself and others, and that was part of my delusion. And so now I entered into the world of grief, and that is what took months, is walking through what I now understand to be a grief journey. And that was essentially a complete journey through the, every memory in my memory bank while my brain is trying to figure out what world I live in, what am I, who am I, what does it all mean again, who do these people mean to me, what did I ever mean to them, just mind-boggling. And so then when you're in that kind of grief, you know, frankly, you're delusional, a different kind of delusional. I was delusional before believing that I, what I believed, to be honest, for the longest time, super optimistically delusional. But now I'm delusional to the point where I can't make sense of any of this information and I can't make sense of why I have it. I can't make sense of why I don't have the right answers. And so then the delusional goes into, it mixes with the paranoia and now you make up whatever stories you could possibly make up that seem logical at the moment to really make it make sense. Because really, you're, I was shattered. It was straight up shattered. And when you snap, obviously, like there are animal instincts that are at work. This isn't just the mind, if you will. There are, I believed in the core belief system of my animalistic nature and being that my life was at risk in a number of ways, you know. I'll get into that more later in future episodes, but in that snap, I then had all the animal stuff going on, I had all the mind stuff going on, but then it was like the only thing that made any sense and that what I, the only rationalization I could come to is, and it really was a part of the, the new information coming back to me in my brain cells and this experience was, you have to kill your ego because this guy can't survive. I mean, I literally I was in a complete and utter downward spiral into what I would consider hell on earth, and I could not have been in more pain. And I was clamoring on for help from the people that I loved and trusted and thought loved and trusted me the most, and, and I was the most devotional to and I thought were the most devotional to me. And they were like, 
in this particular case, both on my doing of pushing them away and them not understanding me and the fact that none of what I expected was real anyway, but it was like grabbing onto a, a cliff where you think you're going to get a hand and you're going to stop falling. And it was just slippery. It was just slidey rock. And I couldn't get my fingernails in. I couldn't get my hands in. It's like if you're trying to grab somebody to pull you out of the water and you just grab their hands and they slide off. And so none of those people were available to pull me back, to pull me out, to lift me up and to help me navigate or to even at some point save me. And everything that came back to my mind was very clear that there was no putting the pieces back together. And so you really just have to kill this guy, Heath Burr. You have to come to a place where everything that you thought you knew and what he thought he knew can't coexist with this new you and this soulful you. So it was like, okay. So I gave my soul more of the reins and it had been, had a wobbly legs, sea legs, if you will. It hadn't been under that jar in forever. It hadn't been out in the light. It had been saved for later for maybe some other form of redemption or when I had it all, we could bring the soul out to play. But now the soul was in charge. He said just, he was done, and all I could do was continually tear down everything I knew about myself, what I thought about myself, and what I thought about life through that lens of this guy named Heath Burr. And that's really where the drinking came even more into play, both during the process, before the process to lead me up to it, and then really where I'm at now with my own relationship with any kind of substance that takes me away from my heart. So there you have it, apocalyptic experience. Uh, it's the right word. 75 days sober now, walking through my own heart, emotions, feelings, thoughts, and self-identifying with a new version of myself. Thanks for being here.